everybody and welcome to this talk about how to become a dungeon master, the do's and don'ts of becoming a really good storyteller. My name is Anna and I will moderate or ask the question in this talk and that will be super fun. But it's not about me, it's, up the, it's about the lovely, what you call them, people that should do the talking. So could you please introduce yourself starting with Moa? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm... Uh... One of the GMs and uh, one of the players of uh, the role-playing uh, actual play podcast, uh, Svartvik and Rosby Sport. So, uh, yeah, and I've been uh, role-playing since I was, I think, about 12. I had like, kind of like, uh, I put it on pause uh, in high school and then I picked it up again uh, when I started university. But basically since I was 12. Uh, Axel, we can take you next. Hello, I'm Axel Vidén and uh, I'm the uh, co-creator uh, of the Vespilla uh, Rollspel podcast, an actual play podcast mainly that's been going for about five years now. Uh, I've done some freelance uh, adventure writing for uh, Frida Ligan and uh, I've uh, published some illustrations and articles in Phoenix magazine and uh, I started playing role-playing games when I was seven or eight or something like that. Uh, I too had a pause similar to, uh, to Moas because uh, there were other fun stuff that, that I discovered. But yeah, the podcast kind of uh, revived it for me and uh, it was really nice to, uh, to return to a hobby that kind of combines everything I love. Thank you so much. And Victor, please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Victor Bereksasi, and uh, I am one of the co-hosts, co-creators of Tale and Vision with Anna. I think the first time when I met uh, role-playing, it was like 16 years ago. I played once in a hiking camp, then I haven't picked it up again. And after that, six years after, when I was in university, I started to play, and it sticked with me since then. I started to DM around uh, three years ago when I established a board game club and uh, since then I'm using roleplay in my communication trainings and uh, team building workshops. Thank you so much. And you all touched the subject a bit of why you started to roleplay, but I would like to hear a bit more on what was it that made you start roleplaying? Because we all have that story of how we fell into the magical pot of imagination and fantasy world. So. What was it that drew you into role-playing? Or who is the guilty person we should actually blame for this? Should I go first? I can go first. <laughs> the guilty people, uh, in my case, were my cousins. We started uh, role-playing uh, during the summers. We actually, um, they live in Stockholm and I live in Gothenburg, uh, but we all share a summer place uh, in Bohusland on the west coast, on Urust. We only saw each other in the summers. So they used to bring this, like, uh, this box of Drakardemone uh, Trudvang, which is my... Uh, yeah, that's what started off for me. <laughs> In the grim, dark, horrible fantasy world. So it's, um, yeah, we, we just, I don't know, it's just this like new thing that uh, they introduced and it kind of, you know, it's kind of addictive. You know, when you get into it, it's, it's so immersive, so it's hard to uh, go back, I suppose. <laughs> it truly is. Axel, where did it start for you? The, uh, the, the people in my vicinity growing up who played role-playing games were uh, the asshole older brothers of uh, some of my friends. Uh, 
I think we all know the kind of people I'm talking about. Like uh, older siblings uh, in a certain age can be huge dicks. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, me and my friends, we knew that the, the, uh, the older, cooler guys were playing role-playing games. How weird does that sound, huh? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was a different time. But we didn't really get how all that worked. However, we did play uh, the, the Hero Quest board game a lot. Uh, and uh, if you remember how that game works, you actually have tiny, tiny character sheets mm -hmm. in it. And uh, we kind of improvised off of that because the idea of role-playing games is something that kids do all the time, right? So it was a pretty easy transition to move away from the uh, HeroQuest board and uh, into the mind's eye, as it were. Mm. HeroQuest is a good, good starting point for that. Victor! For me, it was uh, in a hiking camp. I still remember how I was sitting next to the campfire and there was this guy called uh, Benedek. He was with brown hair, glasses, like a Harry Potter character, and he had this huge green book. He was like, hey, we can play Magus, means magician in Hungarian. And it's a super old, super complicated Hungarian role-playing system. We were sitting next to the campfire and I was running my first fighter. He was telling the story of how there was a huge winged demon and it just crashes down in front of me. And of course I wanted to kill it and then it ran away. <laughs> no! no! <laughs> but then it came back and you killed it, right? That was the first and only time when I played with Benedict. <laughs> I think I was like 16 or something. But uh, after that, uh, some of my long, uh, long lost and uh, haven't seen friends from secondary school called me that, hey, Victor, we are playing Dragon Age tabletop. Mm. And uh, wow, I think I was playing that with them for three years. And after that, we started to play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition and uh, some dungeon world. Nowadays, I'm mostly running games in my own system. Thank you. So it's super interesting because your stories, I think all of us can recognize themselves as how it started with the hiking camp, with the older sibling, with friends. Yeah, but I'm very interested because all of you three are now dungeon masters and lead your own campaigns and role playing games. How was it for you to take the step from being a player and a gamer to becoming the DM? Because that's a kind of a big step for uh, some like me who only played role playing games. Axel, do you want to start? When I when I started gaming with um, my friends, when we started playing, you know, actual role playing games and not just some Hero Quest spin off, there was one local uh, guy in our circle of friends who, uh, and I think we were like, I don't know. 10 or something at this point. He was like, yeah, he was always uh, the game master. Uh, and then he moved out and uh, we wanted to continue playing role-playing games. So uh, so I kind of picked it up because at that point I was the one who, who cared, you know, more about the, uh, the coolness of the story rather than getting cool numbers, <laughs> uh, which is what uh, the other guys were interested in at that age. And uh, then I... I Pretty quickly I discovered that I enjoyed uh, game mastering much, much more than I enjoyed playing. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's, it still is pretty much like that. Follow-up question, what was it that you realized uh, you enjoyed more with game mastering than with uh, being a gamer? Uh, power, I think. 
Like, oh. I, I didn't have to put up with um, the shenanigans of... Uh, I mean, there, there was stuff in my gaming group when I was uh, very young that... Maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't really like it. And uh, starting to, to run games for myself, it allowed me to put my friends into uh, my own head and uh, show them things that they were not uh, receptive towards outside of the game. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, like agency and, uh, and yeah, the ability to, uh, to create an experience for someone else and uh, control it and have them enjoy it. Uh, I think there's something very, you know, human about that. Yeah, definitely. When you first said power, I was like, oh, we went down that road very quickly. <laughs> Grab your attention. <laughs> Mola, what's your story? It, it's sort of similar to Axel's uh, in the beginning. <laughs> I also started, I picked up uh, uh, GMing because uh, there was no one in my group who could do it uh, in university. You know, if, if I wanted to play, role-playing games, I had to be the, the GM. So it's, it was sort of like all or nothing. Uh, but then I realized I actually, ha I actually have uh, two pauses in my role-playing career because afterwards I started playing on university, uh, but then I had another pause and then I started playing at my other university. Uh, and oh. since then I've had no pauses. And in that, uh, after that pause, I actually I started up with, uh, with co-hosting, co-GMing. Co with a friend actually she was like the main gm and uh, i was sort of like her assistant so it's sort of like a smooth transition into i didn't really like go all the way into uh, running my own game uh, at once but i sort of like i helped her run a one shot once and then it sort of like transitioned into me running my own games and i think that was actually really nice because then you know you could have this uh, this person that you could uh, discuss it with. You know, we had this sort of like pauses where where the players would we would eat or you know go to the bathroom and stuff like that, and then you could just like discuss what had happened and how we're supposed to handle it, and oh we could do it like this, so we could go that way, or oh we could probably build upon this this part, uh, and it's actually like a part that I, I really miss as a solitary GM because it was really nice actually having this uh, this feedback this direct feedback in the game with a person who's not really a player but sort of like a an, an in between i would really love to like incorporate that in some way again but i haven't really been able to do that but it's it was really it was really nice i really recommend it for people who who don't really feel like they can take the full step into gming because it can be you know sort of terrifying yeah. uh, if you if you haven't done it and uh, and I think this is a good compromise, and it was really fun. Yeah, it's very interesting when you tell me, because I've never heard that you could co-run uh, campaigns like that. That is super interesting. Yeah, it was really nice, actually, because she was like the main GM, so she did all the the heavy lifting, and I played some of the the NPCs. Oh, so we had like we, nice. we we discussed it, and uh, we I knew what was gonna happen, and I you know I knew all the the stuff going around on around the scene. So she was like, oh, I, I need you to nudge them in this direction. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I got you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was really fun. So nice to hear. Victor, how did it start for you? With uh, Hangover. <laughs> when I was doing my master's and I was living in a dorm, there was a good friend of mine, Eiler, and we started a board gaming club where we were running one-off campaigns every week. So people can just come in and try Dungeons and Dragons. And Eiler was the usual game master. And uh, in one of the Saturday mornings when we wanted to have a game, 
it turned out that it's very bad idea to run games on Saturday mornings because he was coming <laughs> back from a party. Oh gosh, it was the best party ever. My head just hurt so much. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like a zombie barely coming out from a grave. Uh, I was like, okay, Eller, are you sure you want to do this? Uh, you know what? I can do this. <laughs> and that was the first time when I was DMing. <laughs> he gave me three pages of pre-written campaign. And uh, he was like, okay, so in half an hour, I think I can sleep a bit and we can start. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> When I DM the first time, how Axel, what you're saying that uh, you realize that you enjoy DMing more than uh, playing. That is also what I experienced that uh, when I'm playing a character, I only play one character. When I'm DMing, I'm playing uh, maybe three, eight NPCs every every day. I'm bringing in different kind of accents. I'm I'm turning around the fates of the players. I'm just painting this beautiful land landscape and uh, it's like reacting very fast of what is going on there. I wouldn't say much more thrilling for me, but thrilling in a very different way of DMing than playing. So since I started I think I DM like 10 times more than how much <laughs> I played. So Am I the only one who has like a 50-50 ratio? You're lucky! <laughs> I'm sort of like get tired of uh, of DMing after after a while. It's sort of like you know all this responsibility and all this like you have to, you know, it's, it's a sort of like cognitive load. I mean, I get really tired after I've, I've run a campaign. I'm like, no, now I need to play a campaign. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do any DMing for like uh, a couple of months now. Like, don't you ever feel that like this fatigue? I believe that. If you if you GM a lot, I think it's very beneficial for your game mastering to uh, play every once in a while, and I I really try to do that. I would like to do it more, but to me it can actually be kind of exhausting to uh, it's it's more exhausting often to be a player in a game uh, than to be a game master because uh, maybe it's because I'm so used to being a game master. I often feel that I want the the story and the plot to progress in a certain way, uh, and suddenly I have to, I have to uh, perform much, much more in order to move the story in the direction that I like uh, as a player. That then uh, I have to, you know, do it as a, as a game master. So I don't know. I can often when I play instead of game master, I I can get kind of frustrated. <laughs> Actually, huh. yeah. Nobody's gonna want to play with me after this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's very interesting what you're saying, Moa, because you seem to be, and correct me if I'm wrong here, accidentally, you seem to be the only GM here that actually has a 50-50 ratio of playing and GMing. Yeah. Yeah. Axel? Victor? Oh, wow. I think uh, my ratio is probably something like 5% player and 95% uh, game mastering. Oh. I think yeah. Yeah, I think also uh, mine is kind of the same. Maybe a, maybe like 10-15% playing. Yeah, yeah, because I mentioned because more you said that you need to uh, wind down like mix GM with role playing to be able to get a good balance. Actually, you say you become a bit frustrated, Victor. How is your feeling? Because what I'm looking for here is I want to dwell into the myth that when you're starting to be a GM, you will never ever play role playing again because you need to GM all the time. So, yeah. Um, maybe for me it's a bit of a different case because what I hear more that you're 
running campaigns and uh, most of my games are one shots because I'm using uh, role playing in a workshop context so I have some pre pre-developed one shots which I'm uh, improving over time but most of the times I'm running the same thing and uh, the main thing is helping people to integrate the learnings of what happened during the game and how the social dynamics and the character interactions were mirroring real life situations so I think why I don't feel that exhausted because I'm running lots of one shots and uh, secondly when I'm running my campaigns I'm running my novels which I wrote which I already run a few times and when I'm developing new stuff sometimes I'm just so excited about that that uh, I'm thinking about it for half a day or, or a full day and I'm <laughs> creating a new part of the world and oh I haven't thought of that let's put Vikings on the north that's unique <laughs> and uh, there's a new town emerging there <laughs> Uh, so um, when I experienced that I got tired after DMing is when uh, I wanted to cram in too much stuff into one campaign and I felt that I was project managing the game instead of uh, instead of uh, being a game master. Mm -hmm. It is interesting because Victor you say you have leading mostly one shots and Mo and Axel you are leading campaigns, right? Yeah, uh, I actually do both. Both oh. uh, it's sort of like both one shots and campaigns. Probably like a 50-50 a ratio there as well. How do you do this? I don't know. I haven't thought about it before now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably 50-50. When you start DMing, I think there is a view that you should run a long campaign, but you can also run one shot as Victor do. Or what do you think is the best to start with? If we should be like, once we start DMing, or what do you think is more easy, campaign or one shot? I think they're good at different things. I think that uh, if you... Uh, the, the kind of stuff that you can learn from running one-shots is uh, uh, what I like to call, or well, what a lot of people like to call, uh, you know, like table control uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, because you, you have a very... Um, you have a certain number of hours to drive home the plot and to lead everything to a conclusion. You know, the characters might not even survive, so you can really <laughs> you can really push things and you can really go crazy and you can let everything fall apart and just crash and burn uh, and you don't have to to be afraid of that happening. If it does, it's not a big deal because it was just a one-shot anyway. So it's kind of like the kamikaze experimentation of uh, learning to game master. <laughs> The kind of stuff that you can learn that might be comfortable when, if you're a new GM and you're running a, a campaign. Uh, I think uh, the stuff that is comforting with that is that things can, you know, take time. And it's not a big deal if it does. And you can take your time to kind of uh, try different stuff and feel out different stuff. If you're a new game master, I think it might be kind of scary to run a campaign. I mean, of course, because of the time commitment that you're kind of asking from everyone, which is an, a different topic, maybe. But also because uh, you, you might be afraid to ruin stuff, because this is supposed to go for a certain amount of time. And I mean, what if I do this? Will everything just be destroyed then and all the work we put into it and I think the closer you get to uh, the sort of ending the more scary things can can get so I think what happens most of the time when new game masters try to run a campaign is that it all kind of fizzles out a little bit because as a new game master you're often afraid uh, and maybe feel that you lack the skills to to draw it to a satisfying conclusion yeah yeah something like that mm, super interesting well, what? I think that probably the best thing to start with is uh 
a slightly longer one shot, like a one shot that that takes maybe two or three sessions, because like oh. starting with a, a large campaign, it's like a lot of things to to keep track of. I think it's as uh, Axel points out that it, it, it can be intimidating. I think it's very easy to put too much pressure on yourself and feel like you can't do it. If you start with, uh, you know, a one shot that's you know slightly longer, that you don't you don't ha- you don't have to push it out during one evening, but it can take like yeah two or three sessions. Then you have a more limited. Yeah, yeah, have a limited uh, limited scope, limited space uh, that you can play with, and I think that's easier to wrap your head around. And also, you can focus more on on story than on on characters and i think that enabling good character you know development is a skill that gms develop you know after some time i think that it's easier to start with yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna run them through this story and i think that's uh, an appropriate goal for a new gm like this is what i'm gonna start with and then i'm gonna start running longer sessions and then i'm gonna start fleshing out the the characters because i think an important thing with the starting GMing is, is keeping in mind that, it's, that you want it to be sustainable. This is a hobby that you want to continue doing. Uh, you don't want to burn out on your first try. And, it, and it's okay to start easy. You, know, you don't have to do like, the most epic campaign ever the, the first time you do it. You can just take baby steps. Yeah, and I think that's super important. Victor, what's your view on this? I like uh, what more you are saying with the limited scope for the one shot. I think that uh, how I would start as a new DM is how I would try out a business idea. Either very limited scope, so create a one shot which is like up to two, three sessions max and it's on an island. You don't need to develop a world, you just create an island, Uh, it's easy to set some waypoints there and it could be also a sandbox game. I would create uh, a main plot and then improvise everything else to keep the players going on. So that would be a limited scope. The other thing what uh, I would personally recommend is uh, to do a mini one shot, Mm -hmm. which is like a minimum viable product or prototyping in a startup. What I mean by this, for example, when I wait at the airports, I just meet with some nice people. Hey, do you want to play a role playing game? I go up to them and instead of rolling dice, we play rock, paper, scissors and I just improvise a story. And maybe the game goes on for two hours, maybe the game goes on for 10 minutes and that's perfectly fine and the only reason for running a game is to have fun. And the most crazy things can come out of this. I had a game where they were playing the roadies of Elton John whose uh, flamingo hat uh, got uh, stolen by an evil giant because the fairy tale characters and the human characters were doing a fairy tale has talent uh, <laughs> rock battle. And that was the story. I would have never came up with something like that if I plan a campaign, but some crazy shit happens and uh, it was super fun for everyone and I didn't need to prepare anything. I was just asking some questions and have them coming up with the story themselves. To be a bit more specific, it's like, okay, so you are, you are here in this scene and you hear a scream. You look out of the window and see something very peculiar. What do you see there? And they say something and we roll on from there. And not even I'm building the story. I'm just bringing in the drama. They're telling me what, what is going on. Yeah, 
I think that would be the easiest, either super risk-free mini one-shot or very limited in scope. This is so inspiring to hear all of your three stories, and I want to add on to I want to build on to what you're saying because you're telling me the improvisation, how to build a good story, and use of the players. And as a DM, I mean, I think many of us who are listening and want to build a campaign can think like you more saying like we we want to build the most epic story, spans over years and years with lots of players, and it should be lots of side quests. But it's a big undertaking, so. How is the team, how do one start to build a good story for your players and not starting out of, I should have a three year long story and that is my starting point? Start with the players uh, is, is my number one tip. Uh, if you're doing a campaign, a good idea, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is to have uh, what is usually called a session zero, uh, which is basically a game session where uh, probably not any actual role playing happens, but what happens is that the game master describes the game world a little bit, and uh, the players can ask questions about it, and uh, they all create their characters together, kind of looking for reasons that they stick together that are uh, synchronized with um, the stuff going on in the game world. And from this, you you create a group that already has you know pretty interesting ties and uh, sort of an agenda of, of what they're uh, doing in the game world and then you wrap it up there after like two or three hours or something like that and then you start actually planning the campaign <laughs> as, uh, as a game master because then you have a pretty good idea of uh, what the uh, players uh, at least think they're looking for and you you know who the characters are and what they want you're gonna have to adapt anyway but at least this way you can blame the players <laughs> <laughs> Always blame the player. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> I think it's important to to do some uh, introspection and first kind of like figure out who you are. What makes you tired? What makes you uh, yeah? What makes you tired after a session? And sort of like what uh, what increases your cognitive load? Because I think that the most important thing in getting a, a sustainable GM career is is reducing your cognitive load. So for, for me, it's like, I don't like memorizing stuff, but I also don't like improvising. <laughs> both, of the, both of these things, they, they, they make me tired. <laughs> what are you doing in the hobby? <laughs> Why are you, yeah, so, are you solving this? <laughs> I have to find like a middle ground where like, I do enough, uh, I do enough prep so that I have like a framework that can help me improvise. So, so for me, it's sort of like, I sort of like build a framework first, which I call like, sort of like primary functions. Like I have a quest giver, I have the, the point of no return, you know, all these kind of like story structures that we, ha that we have that can be readily used and that are, you know, good. I mean, there's a reason that we have almost the same kind of myths in all kinds of cultures, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because the structures work. So I, I have those kind of like primary functions. And then after we've had our, you know, character creation, I sort of like add in secondary functions that tie in the characters to the, the campaign. So I, I sort of like do it in two steps. So I have my sort of like skeleton structure, uh, so I don't have to improvise too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I also like do this sort of like improv as a second stage where I, I build upon the skeleton so I don't have to memorize too much. So that's sort of like my, my middle ground. But I think it's important to 
to think about it yourself. What kind of what kind of person are you? What what makes you tired? Uh, what can you sustain? And then sort of like make a strategy from that. And uh, and also like being uh, being a new game master, you're probably not sure what what uh, increases your cognitive load and where your limit is as to where you start feeling bored or uncomfortable. Yeah, you you're gonna notice that. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna learn by doing it basically. And then there's lots of different. Uh, I mean, you're talking about uh, story structure and story tools and things like that. And there are. There is so much stuff you can look into that are, you know, different perspectives on how you can structure uh, a story and, you know, branching points and player agency and all that stuff. That stuff will will come eventually. Like, you just got to be aware that things exist and be aware that you as a new J-Master, uh, you're experimenting with trying to find where... Uh, what kind of cognitive load works best for you? And you can add it uh, organically. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I, st I start with this stuff and then I learn this stuff and yeah, I agree. And that's really, really good advice because I'm going to want to spin on with this, but Victor, you might want to ask, uh, add something to this with storytelling before? Yeah, I want to chip in because I, I love that session zero. I'm feeling inspired with, about this thinking that uh, what makes you tired, how I would link these two is as a new dm maybe i don't know yet that what makes me tired what i know that what what i think is cool and what i can ask my players that what they think is cool so for example maybe i want to have uh, vampires and vikings and uh, and unicorns in my world so i just merge everything together and there will be a one-shot campaign and from that one-shot campaign, usually there's a world rippling out, so there could be like two or three one-shot campaigns going on, and that starts to build a campaign with just ripplings all around. So the first thing would be that uh, for me as a DM, what is cool and what the players are willing to go with, and uh, yeah. Chasing the fun. Chasing the fun. And I want to spin into what you more brought into this, because how, how to be sustainable as a GM because I know a lot of GMs in my friends among my friends and they are always be they are always be like oh can you DM can you DM can you DM because everyone wants to have them a DM because everyone knows they're really good so I know that you three you love doing this you love running games for your friends and for everyone so how do you keep yourself in check so you don't end up with like, no, I can't do anything for two weeks because I'm GMing for 19 different campaigns. How do you keep yourself in check and make sure that you have, still have fun in this hobby? You have a kid. Yeah, but it's a, it's a real problem. I don't really have a good answer to that, actually. I think it's it's really hard to uh, get carried away because it's fun. Mm -hmm. I think it's like one of the hardest things to learn is when to say no. Actually. Yeah, yeah. For me, like um, the uh, the podcast that I do, I don't really have that much more time to to run campaigns in. I've tried every once in a while, but it just gets too uh, too busy and then the fun starts you know creeping out of it and mm. then it's not fun anymore <laughs> uh, every now and then there are um, there are things I want to try that I can't really do in uh, in my podcast uh, and then I try to do it with different podcasts <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're just creating a new one a new one 
Yeah, well, like, yeah, or, or being uh, guests uh, in uh, Svartvikan, Moras uh, podcast. Uh, Which we love. It's uh, absolutely fantastic. But, but what I like about that is uh, when, when you actually turn your role-playing game into, uh, into a podcast, or I guess as in your case, Victor, uh, you know, work, basically. That kind of means that you can't just quit. So you may not have time for that much uh, other role-playing, but at least uh, you have this thing that has a very hard time going away because you're, you, you've committed to it and a lot of other people have seen it. And then you can't just, you know, drop it and stop doing it. So for me, like, uh, I'm very happy to do so much podcasting because to me it means that I keep playing mm. and that for me... Uh, it's usually the bigger issue, like the, the issue for me has tended to be to keep a lot of interested uh, players, to keep them showing up mm -hmm. every now and then, because in my circle of friends, uh, there aren't that many people who, uh, who I could get to do that. I, yeah, I don't know that many role players. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Weird, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, uh, the podcast has actually organically solved it for me as well. Like sort of like, yeah, you have people depending on you and it, it takes a lot of time to make a podcast. Before we started with Svartviken, I had maybe two or three groups that I played with. One that I was running uh, myself, but now it's, it's just Svartviken uh, or maybe visiting other podcasts. So it sort of like solve itself. Yeah, because I think having, this is my guess, but I can imagine that having a podcast with role-playing also make it easier for people to meet up because as you said you can't yes. quit on that one because it's a common problem i think you all practically agreed on it victor i would really like your input on this that get people to gather for role play in this day is basically impossible <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, every now and then i hear someone mentioning a virus or something that that i don't know what that's about but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's also, no, actually it's interesting because what I started to do that I was looking for people who I can roleplay with. So I started to go around with my friends that, hey, I'm Victor, I like fishing, I like roleplaying, I'm also dancing salsa, do you do any of these? I'm also fishing and I, I got so surprised at how many fishermen I found. <laughs> also <laughs> so uh, right now I started to I, I made two Facebook groups where I collect all of my geeky nerdy friends who like to board game and when I have a one shot campaign to try out uh, I just put it out there and usually there are a few people who are popping up yeah, that's what we use our podcast for as well like we <laughs> someone has oh I've written this adventure I want to try it out okay yeah yeah that's basically how Swat Vegan was founded like we had all this like stuff that we oh, I want to try this I want to try this oh we should record it yeah it starts with that and then you can never stop ever again yeah. I want to really into something all three of you have mentioned and that is NPCs because as GMs you can use an unlimited amount of NPCs and for me as a player NPCs usually has a great impact of my games. They can be bad, they can be evil, or bad or evil, good, neutral, yeah, everything. Most of them are bad or evil, I don't know why, but so how important are good NPCs when you create them and how do you like to use them? My, my players uh, often have a, a big part of the fun for them I think is um getting into weird discussions with uh, weird NPCs. 
who are who are often like uh, slightly bizarre, and I also have a lot of fun with that. So um, th- that is one big deal for me. That you know, there has to be preferably at least once once per session. There has to be like. Uh, sort of a comic relief kind of character because my my players enjoy that stuff a lot <laughs> but what i find useful about those characters or those npcs rather is that uh i kind of like that they're there because they create a contrast to the more serious evil or you know serious good guy uh npcs uh, and and you kind of need that dynamic so the the point that i'm trying to make probably is uh i try to Try to create some, you know, dynamics within the NPC gallery. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, ha- have have a comic relief kind of character, have a stern, serious type. Like, and don't be afraid to overdo it. You know, at least for me, like, it's it's usually more uh, it's usually more clearly communicated what kind of uh, character this is if I just over the top it uh, a lot, uh, basically. But then again, it's it's genre dependent as well. Like, if you're doing you know, a grim noir, Lovecraftian uh, horror story, then you can't really have that many comic relief characters popping up. Or can you? The tentacles will always be a comic relief. (laughs) 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 I think NPCs are super important because uh, they are creatures or people who the players can relate to and who are part of the world. And who know everybody, everything about the world. So I think NPCs are kind of an anchor for the players to connect to the world. And also uh, the part of the gaming world to which the players can create emotional connections to. In my games I really like to bring in uh, grey areas and uh, decisions which, uh, which are not uh, good or bad. But... Uh, it's a bit like the Witcher world. When I believe that I make a good decision, it might turn out to be a bad decision. Then it might turn out to be a good decision. And when players relate to NPCs, then uh, it's, I think, much more easier to have them go through this uh, emotional roller coaster. To bring in an example, in one of my previous games, the players got into a village of uh, little earth elementals. It, so little imagine like a pet rock and they were super friendly giving them food and they were like rock chaka chaka rock rock tak <laughs> and they were super nice and the players in the end of the campaign needed to make a decision to finish their main quest and take the magician's book back home to the alchemists but when they closed the book all of the earth elementals started to crumble And they were like, oh, these are so cute. And then if they want to finish the main quest, they will destroy the cute village of the Earth Elementals, releasing the spirits of Earth Spirits uh, from their mortal bodies. And uh, that was a discussion for the players to think that, okay, what they will be doing with this situation. And I think NPCs were super important for this. I think the, the NPCs also, they, like, they represent the, the GM's agency in the world. Like I, I always try to have like one NPC with the group at any given point in time, because that's my way of influencing them. Or like giving advice or like nudging them in, in, in a direction, if I want to nudge them. Uh, so I think that it's a method of control for the GM. Uh, but also I think that there's two levels to NPCs as there are two levels to story. And I, usually when I do it, I, I think of it in terms of primary and secondary functions 
in this aspect as well. Like I have this like primary function of my NPC, which is like you know a quest giver. You know we have to start the 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 mission with something. Uh, but then I also tried to implement something that you know ties directly into one of the the player characters that the players created. So yeah, it's a quest giver, but it's also like this guy's mom or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, or some the person that was supposed to save. Yeah, maybe it's an old enemy or you know so you can have like two levels of it you have one level that's more like a framework and one level that's personal and you don't always have to create those levels at the same time and i think that uh, you know it can be easier for a gm that's just starting out to maybe think in terms of framework first and then sort of like try to add in this personal stuff as you go along as things pop up in the in the story so that's mainly how I do it. And also like I always try to have one NPC with the group so that I can control them. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> there comes the power again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that funny though cuz I I actually I kind of don't like having uh, a character with uh, with the group cuz what happens for me a lot of the time is I I forget that they're there, <laughs> uh, and uh, and the players kind of do too. And then someone's all of a sudden like, "Oh, hey, what what does the the weird guy from the inn think about this?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, you forgot he was here." Uh, <laughs> uh, so that can happen a lot. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely done what you're describing, Mo, and uh, it can be very useful uh, in in certain circumstances. Absolutely. I just like to add also that that one one thing that I've uh, found. A lot of the time, and that I think can be pretty uh, good for new GMs to be aware of, is that um, the concept or idea or function that you as a game master have in mind for your NPC, it might not be at all what the players uh, interpret. For instance, in our uh, main campaign in the podcast, there's this uh, really epic good guy hero kind of character who's supposed to be like, yeah, one of the main heroes, basically. Uh, and, And all the players hate that guy. (laughs) He hasn't really done anything to them. He's just kind of been, you know, an annoying goody-two-shoes kind of person. And yeah, like, uh, as as time goes by and you get more experience as a game master, you kind of learn what traits for an NPC uh, and how to to express them uh, in a way that your players will interpret the NPC the way you intend to, because uh, that can be pretty tricky. At times, yeah. I found. But I think it's also like important to keep in mind that even if you have a framework, I mean, it's only a, like a starting point. So I mean, the 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 good guy who's supposed to be like a hero that serves that kind of function, he doesn't necessarily have to end up that way. It's always uh, negotiable. You can always transform uh, whatever sort of like primary functions you had in mind. It's just like yeah, a starting off point. Yeah, I mean, if the players made this guy into a villain, then he's, he's kind of going to become a villain. And it turns out they were right all along, you know? <laughs> yeah, and uh, transforming NPCs. I think it's, as a DM, I can just do anything because I know the story and the players don't know the story. So if they get off track, I can just put a new temple there in front of them. And oh, it was there all along. And what I usually like to do is when the players are creating their characters to have some bits and buzzwords from their backstory like okay you have your best friend uh, who you haven't seen for 20 years uh, you owe money for someone you you have a, a vile nemesis 
who you are uh, super angry with. And sometimes when players come up with something cool, I just switch the main villain of the one-off campaign to one of their personal connections, the enemy. For example, last time um, I wanted to have a necromancer there and it turned into a, a pirate Casanova who was uh, being a super sleazy romantic but also a bad guy. And it was coming from the player's story. I think it's very important to be responsive to what the players are doing. Like if, if you add a, an NPC that they don't take to, you know, just either transform it or throw it away or start something new. And if they, if you have a, an NPC that you you didn't really think you were gonna do that much with, and they they really like that NPC, yeah, then then it's gonna become a, a greater part of that story. I think it's really important as a GM to be responsive towards what the the players interact with. Yeah. Yeah, and to just to follow up real quickly on uh, what uh, what Victor said as well, like in my experience, players uh, always tend to engage uh, much more with world content that they've created or influenced somehow. It's it's just human nature, I suppose. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you so much. We shall start to round up here because I promise only to keep not to keep you for so long. But the last thing to get from you, it's your top three advice. From you to everyone who wants to start to GMing. The, the main thing for me that I think kind of summarizes uh, a lot of stuff uh, is, um, is follow the players. As a, as, a, as a game master you have the responsibility to uh, make sure that this is fun for everyone and that includes you as well of course but uh, you're just one person. If the rest of the players are uh, having fun and they're getting what is fun for them from you, that is the best chance for you to uh, sneak in stuff that you're not sure if they will like, but that you, you kind of, you like it and you want to try it on them. So yeah, you have to like serve their uh, favorite condiments on the sandwich and then you can hide your own poison in there uh, between the, uh, <sighs> between the, uh, the condiments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so follow the players. Thank you. I'd say uh, my first tip is uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Like it's uh, use the illusion of choice. If you have to learn systems organically, you don't have to. You only have to learn the essentials and then make stuff up as you go, uh, and rely on on story structures. Uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think it's really all about making it sustainable. M make it so that you're not super tired after every session. You want to have fun without paying a cognitive price. <laughs> Good point. From me would be to, uh, for new DMs, uh, either do a mini one shot to get your feet wet. Just sit down with people and hey, let's improvise something. Um, play rock, paper, scissors instead of rolling dice and uh, ask people that, okay, you see uh, three orcs in front of you. One of them seems to be uh, special. Why is that? And they start to build their story. And with this, you can just practice DMing and get into DMing very fast. The other thing is, I really like what Moa said, that uh, try to keep the systems light. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, I could feel a, a whole airplane luggage with all of the Dungeons and Dragons book and there will be still some left. Uh, 
I love Dungeons and Dragons, but it's I think too complicated. I built my own system, so it's much more simple. Keep it light. If Dungeons and Dragons, then uh, then only use some base rules or pick a few pre-made characters and have your players using those to make it easy on you. And uh, and uh, dare to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's probably the, the most important advice. That the players will fuck up, and what do you as a GM do then? You fuck it up even more. <laughs> yeah, you show them that they're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I too can fuck up, and I am omnipotent! That's <laughs> kind of the, okay. the kicker with being the game master, I guess. Like, you're this all-powerful master of the fiction, but you're kind of an idiot as well, because you're a human being. Yeah. Don't let the power go to your head, because it will end badly. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of fun before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Getting very mixed signal here from you. Yeah. <laughs> so this was super fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nice. And we hope to be able to do, perhaps not this panel talk, but Another one at the GotCon 2021. Sure. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, well, we all will have time to roleplay and play more <laughs> games, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, we have been talking a lot uh, about our different projects and everything. So, if people are interested in reading more and finding more what you're doing, where can they find you? I uh, do the uh, podcast The Spelar Rollspel, which is in uh, Swedish, obviously, and you can find it wherever podcasts are found and also at www.spelarollspel.se uh, I can be found <laughs> on Svartviken Rollspels pod and also where all the, the podcasts can be found and uh, I'm not really sure what our our website addresses, so I'm just gonna, yeah, Google Svartviken Rollspels pod and you will find us. <laughs> and uh, you can find me in uh, Tale and Vision, search um, Facebook for Tale and Vision. And also, if you want to contact me about uh, communication trainings or team building workshops, then you find me on innovationhaven.com. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>